Welcome to another episode of Confessions of a Christian Kid. I'm your host, Christopher David Gray, where we are cutting through religion to find the true Christ and exploring the mystical side of Christianity. In this episode, as promised, I'm going to begin telling my deconstruction of faith story, particularly my first 20 years, you could say the first 20 years of my spiritual journey. I indicated in the last episode that there was a traumatic event in my life which caused me to question everything, start doubting the Christian and Bible authorities in my life, and started seeking truth in the scripture for myself. I'll be talking about that traumatic event that happened when I was 20 years old. But before I do, first I want to put out a warning that there will most likely be language that may not be suitable for small ears. So if you have small ears around, you might want to turn this off and listen later or put in headphones. And that'll probably be par for the course for most of my podcasts because this is not a sanitized Sunday school discussion of religion. This is digging deep and sometimes I like to use colorful language for emphasis And uh, particularly in this episode, I'll be talking about my sexuality. Nothing graphic, of course, but you may not want your little kids to hear. The other thing I'd like to point out is that it is not my intention at all to condemn or judge anyone else. I believe, like Christ, that there's no condemnation. That's not the point of this. The point is seeking truth. So as a kid, I was exposed to things that I now think were not correct and or maybe even harmful. So yes, we all have experienced this in our lives where we go back and we try to figure out what's wrong with me? Why why am I struggling in this area of my life? And then you go back to your childhood and you discover traumas and you work through them and you discover that it's really pointless to try to blame your parents because they really truly were doing the best they could with what they had. And you have to think about what their parents gave them, and then what their parents gave them. You know, even me talking in opposition to the accepted Christian belief system, I'm not condemning anyone. I believe that some of the things that my pastor and my parents passed on to me are not correct and are not in alignment with the teachings of Christ. So do I get angry with them and blame them and say, shame on you, and if I could just get rid of them, then everything would be great? No. Because why did they teach me things that weren't true? Because they were taught things that weren't true. And these things were passed down from generations to generation. So this isn't about condemning anyone. This is about a discovery of truth. And you'll notice the very simple way that I do this, the way I think through this is the closer we are to the real truth, the more fruits of the spirit should be present. Love, joy, peace, right? But this isn't an on off switch. Well, who's right and who's wrong? One of the main reasons why we miss it is because we're so tribal and because we believe that there's right and wrong and light and dark and cold and hot. And those are the only choices we have. There could be a million degrees between hot and cold. We have to use discernment. And the way that we're taught to use discernment is by judging a tree by its fruit. So I'm just looking at these things that I was taught in this Christian belief system and how it affected me and also affected other people that I grew up with. And we just look at it. One of the main reasons why I haven't been brave enough to talk about this in the past is because I don't want to hurt people. My purpose is not to hurt my parents or embarrass anybody or even embarrass myself. And that's one of the main reasons why I didn't want to share my story because it's embarrassing to be open and honest and admit that you did stupid things and you don't even know why. But my very clear purpose is to find truth because in my experience again the way i was raised in the church with this christian belief system did not bear the fruit that i believe the scripture states is supposed to be present for anyone who is living in the truth again we have to realize that christ did not come to make bad people good he came to make dead people alive This is about spirituality. It's not just a contest of who's right and wrong and who has the best debating skills. Alignment with truth produces good fruit, period. In the last episode, I mentioned that I had become a Pharisee. I'd become a legalistic Christian. My parents got involved in this organization that 
looking back on it, is very clearly misguided and very legalistic. And now it's coming to light that the teachings from this organization had incredibly negative impact, negative fruit in many of the families that were involved. But I have to tell you, this is actually probably the fifth or sixth time that I've recorded myself telling this story. It's been very revelatory for me to dive into this period of my life. And it's really interesting from the first time that I started telling the story, how serendipitously my sister ended up sending me some letters that I had written her during this time in my life, right around the time I was 20 when this traumatic event happened. And it was really fascinating to me that those things just randomly showed up to me as I was diving into this. I have a life coach who's very spiritual. I have a therapist who is very secular, and I've talked through this with each of them, had many conversations, a lot of things have come to light. And so I'm hoping this recording that I do of the story will be as genuine, real, honest, and beneficial to anybody who is interested in understanding the impact of not only legalistic Christianity, but some of the Christian belief system in general. So my story begins very simply. I was born and raised in the Christian church. We went to church three times a week. My parents were really serious about it. By the time I was in fourth grade in the late 1980s, my parents pulled us out of public school and began to homeschool us very specifically for Christian purposes, for religious reasons. My parents had been attending a seminar called the Institute in Basic Life Principles that was taught by a guy named Bill Gothard. If you haven't heard of this seminar, it was actually very popular in the 1970s and 80s, even into the, into the 90s. I mean, this guy used to sell out coliseums. Thousands of people would come hear his seminar. And he's talking about these seven principles that he pulled out of the Bible and all of this kind of breakdown. Hey, what does the Bible say? Let's break this down and make it practical. I mean, I have to be honest and objective. There's some good information. It's, it's interesting. I've been having a lot of conversations with my parents lately. Um, they recently moved close to me. And, you know, this Bill Gothard guy still comes up in our conversation because some of the things that he said made sense. He actually pointed out some things from the scripture that was revelatory, you know, something new. I mean, his seminar, essentially, I think it was popular because he's going beyond what the Christian church is willing to say about what the Christian belief system is. And if this is true, well, then how should we then live? I mean, it's kind of, that's kind of the idea. Hey, if all this stuff is true, then is there a higher standard that we should be living to? I mean, the idea of, hey, I don't want to be just a Sunday Christian. What, what does God expect of me? Essentially, this guy, Bill Gothard, was answering that question that was in that Bible verse that I read in the last episode in, in John when the people came to Jesus and said, what, what do we do that we may work the works of God? Essentially, Bill Gothard himself attempted to answer that question. Oh, I'll tell you what to do to work the works of God. This is the truth. Here's these principles. And he gained such a loyal following. I mean, my parents probably went to this seminar dozens of times, like literally. I know my first time attending the seminar, I was 12 years old, and I probably went a handful of times after that. And in the 1980s, as homeschooling was ramping up, Bill Gothard decided to start a homeschool organization based on his seminar teachings called the Advanced Institute of America, ATIA, later just ATI. If you've ever seen the show about the Duggar family, the people have like 20 kids, 20 kids and counting, or whatever that is, that is the exact same organization that the Duggars belong to. The same things. If you've ever watched that show and you're like, whoa, these people are weird. Like, yeah, they are weird. And they adhere to some really crazy legalistic kind of teachings. The idea is my parents pulled us out of public school to train us with this Bill Gothard curriculum, which was basically the idea of, hey, all we need is the Bible. You know, secular humanism is taking over the world and taking over public schools, so we're going to remove our kids from the public schools and we're going to teach them strictly from the Bible. And this curriculum was based on Bible verses. So if Jesus said, if your eye is single, your body will be full of light. Oh, okay, so let's let's take time and investigate the eye. Let's do a biology lesson. How does our eye work? Which is a cool idea. I mean, there's obviously some, some good things about it. 
But what happened is instead of just giving people principles that they can work out in their own life, his teaching became more and more practical. And then with the advent of his homeschool organization, it became super practical. Hey, so it's almost like don't even bother reading the Bible anymore because I'm going to tell you exactly what it says and what you need to do. Women should always wear skirts and we should make our own bread and rock and roll is from the devil. And not only is premarital sex a sin, but you know, dating should be a sin too because the dating culture leads to premarital sex. So we're not going to even date. We're going to save ourselves not only physically, but emotionally for our spouses. And if we do that, then we'll be unstoppable. His catchphrase for this seminar of his was giving the world a new approach to life. So again, like there's a lot of good things about it. And I understand why my parents got involved in this because they, like me, are also spiritual seekers. They weren't satisfied with the explanation of Christianity they were getting in the Christian church. It's just not the full picture. I think we all know that. We know that this is like a Sunday school version of Christianity. And we'll be going through a lot of the verses in the Bible that I can point out to you that most pastors and most churches won't even touch because there's a higher level of faith that Christ and the Apostle Paul expected us to achieve. Like when the Apostle Paul was talking about, you know, why do you still drink milk? You're just babes. I can't feed you the meat of the word. Well, this is kind of the idea of what Bill Gothard was filling. He's like, I'm giving you the meat of the word. You know, we're going to take this real seriously. We're going to look at the, what the Bible says and we're going to follow it word for word. So as a kid growing up in the church, first of all, even aside from the seminar, I was born and raised in the church. If you know anything about human psychology and how a small child assimilates information from birth to age seven, all the stuff that I learned just went straight into my subconscious, right? Like this is my programming. Yes, I believe in God. Yes, I believe in the Bible. Jesus came to save us. Anybody who doesn't believe is going to hell. I mean, this was my reality. And for whatever reason, I also had a strong desire to learn more. I loved this idea of hidden truths and spirituality and the God that you can't see and all these characters in the Bible and magic and miracles and this kind of cause and effect. If you please God, then he's going to bless you. I mean, I loved this idea that like, wait a second, everybody else is out here in this rat race trying to run around, earn money and living this material existence. But you know, I'm going to go straight to God and I'm going to learn how to please God so that I can be blessed. This sounded like a smart idea, right? If there's a God who controls everything, then I want to be on his good side so that I can be blessed, right? Just uh, again, just like if you have a dad, doesn't matter if he's a mean dad or a nice dad, you want to be on his good side because he's got the money. He's the one bringing home the bacon, right? So it was a very simple idea to me. And, you know, the people, the adults in my life are so confidently telling me this is the truth. This is the way it is. And so, okay, this is my reality. And then when we joined this Bill Gothard thing in this homeschool, it was like calling me to a higher standard, but I already had this desire to be spiritual to be like one of the characters in the Bible. Like I thought this is amazing. And if these people are telling me this is true, I mean, I really believed this with all my heart, soul, mind and strength. And I was just good at church, man. I was, I was a public speaker. I had natural leadership skills. I was a musician. I was a good singer. It was just, it's just my jam. You know, I had a good friend in middle school. We were homeschooled together and we just went in opposite directions. It was really interesting looking back on some conversations we had before we stopped hanging out together. Like, I mean, he literally went towards sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And I went towards, you know, being the best Christian kid I possibly could. So I remember when I was 16 years old, I was attending a Bill Gothard homeschool conference thing in Indianapolis. I remember one of these prayers, everybody bow your head. Are you going to dedicate your life to God for real? I mean, I'm looking around. I'm part of this. I feel like I'm a part of this elite club, right? It's like being a Pharisee. Like, oh, look at all these people. Like we're, we're the best Christians there are. Yeah, this is exciting. And, and even in honesty, the organization had a lot of interesting things going on actually all over the world. In fact, one of the things that was going on with this Bill Gothard organization is uh, as soon as communism fell, they were one of the first Christian organizations invited into Russia. And like, that was cool. 
And they had this Indianapolis training center where I later went and spent my first year out of high school that was working with the government in Indianapolis and working with juvenile delinquents and families in need. So this organization was not only that this felt like this cutting edge Christian organization. We are the ones who are pleasing God. We are being blessed. But it seemed like this organization is being blessed. I mean, it's growing there's people from all over the world. It was really intriguing that it was it was comprised of people from all different denominations. As a kid growing up in this, I totally bought into this idea of like, okay, I'm going to give my life to God. I'm going to dedicate my life to God. Even though I know that that means like, man, it's going to be rough in high school. All my friends were doing sex, drugs, and rock and roll. When I got back from this conference in Indianapolis after giving my really, truly dedicating my life to God, I got a call from the wife of one of the elders in our church that asked me to lead a Bible study. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is amazing. You know, I just dedicated my life to God and now I'm getting this opportunity to be a Bible teacher. And this experience of teaching my friends was just amazing. I just remember just buzzing. I'd come home after teaching Bible study to my friends and like I was just, I felt electric. It was so much fun to me. It was so fulfilling. It was like, this is my purpose. I mean, although I have to say that, as you can imagine, being part of an organization where you're being told that this is what is really pleasing to God and then you go back to your home church and you see people living lifestyles that don't measure up to that, it's impossible not to compare yourself to them. And I, I mean, I obviously really wrestled with that, right? Because Christ talks about not judging and not condemning, but it was really hard as a kid. I mean, I just remember truly our whole family's attitude was like, we are the elite. We are, without even realizing what we're basically saying is, we're the Pharisees, we're the legalistic ones. So how this affected me when I was in high school, I mean, I'm in high school, I am not allowed to listen to rock and roll. I'm not allowed to date. My dad had a strict dress code for us. There were events that we weren't allowed to attend, you know, really strict about movies. One of the things that was the most difficult was that there was a time when I was not allowed to attend our own church's youth group because it was too worldly. So, I mean, we were not only separating ourselves from the public school, from secular humanism, we were actually separating ourselves from the church itself. The world had infiltrated the church and we are the the elite. You know, we are the 144,000 or whatever. We are the we are God's chosen. And this is what was programmed into me and I bought into it. Hook, line and sinker, man. So, as you can imagine, this organization highly discouraged parents from sending their kids to college. Not just secular universities, but Christian ones too because again, Christians are too worldly, right? Rock and roll is from the devil, and dating will lead to premarital sex. My first year out of high school, instead of going off to college, I went back to this Indianapolis training center to participate in a brand new program that they hadn't done before, where the organization was working with the government in Indianapolis to work with juvenile delinquents and their families. After three months of training, I mean, we learned some interesting stuff, but you can imagine three months, you know, 18 year old kid who's been really sheltered his entire life learning for three months and then throwing me with some juvenile delinquents, probably not the best idea. So my job, I was assigned what we called a leader in training. This was a kid who was actually assigned by the court to our training center. His mom had a choice. Do you want your kid to go back to juvenile hall or do you want to try this new training center? And so his mom sent him there and I, here I am, 18 year old kid. And it was my job basically to babysit this kid for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. As you can imagine, it was very difficult. I mean, being with anybody 24 hours a day, seven days a week would be challenging, let alone someone who had grown up completely different than I had and had incredible behavioral issues. I have to call out this organization and, and just be like, are you kidding me? I'm 18 years old and you assign me this kid for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and there are no scheduled breaks. I have to find creative ways to get myself a break. In fact, the kids would be tutored for school for only like two or three hours a day. And I was expected to go with them to help monitor the kids while they were in school. And there was a point where I just started refusing to do it. I'm like, 
Are you kidding me? Like, when am I going to get a break? I need a break. I'm volunteering, but I'm, I'm actually working 24 hours a day. This is, this is insane. Anyway, so that was really difficult for me. So here I am with this mentality of like, oh, I'm part of this organization and I'm surrendering myself to God and God is going to bless me. And I looked at this as like, I'm sacrificing these early years of my adulthood, you know, so that God will bless me for the rest of my life. The experience was like, holy shit. Uh, I guess my life is going to suck because this is really hard. If this is what God wants for me for the rest of my life, whoa, this is going to be rough. But let me paint a little bit of a picture of what it was like to be part of this organization living for a year at this training center, which used to be an old hotel. We all had to dress the same. We were not allowed to talk about anything remotely controversial, no politics, ironically, no religion, because remember, there's different denominations. We weren't allowed to debate the Bible. (laughs) So basically, we were just like, oh, whatever they teach us the Bible means, and that's what it is. That's what you're here to do. You're here to serve God. Actually, we're there to serve Bill Gothard and his organization. But one of the, the amazing genius things that he had in his arsenal was, as part of his seminar, he taught this principle of authority. And he used this metaphor of an umbrella that says, okay, every authority in your life is given to you by God, your mom, your dad, and Bill Gothard in this case, and the the other authorities there. So the principle he said was, if you disobey your authorities, then you're stepping outside from that umbrella of protection. Then you'll be susceptible to the temptations of Satan. So if you want to stay safe and you want God's blessing, you have to obey your authorities. And if you don't, then... God's going to be mad at you. He's going to cast you out and allow Satan to have his way with you. So, I mean, I was a good kid, man. And I bought into this whole idea. I mean, when I was there, I followed all the rules. I've recently reconnected with some of the other students that I was with at the training center at that time. And I realized after talking to them, I was like, I was probably only one of a handful of kids who actually followed all the rules. I mean, I was a good kid. I mean, I really bought into this idea of, hey, God is watching me 24 hours a day. And I'm supposed to be obedient to these authorities. Otherwise, God's going to be mad at me. So I'm, I'm going to be good. I'm going to follow the rules. Most of the other students there were smart enough to realize, what is going on? <laughs> this cannot be God. Where's the, where's the fruits? This is bullshit. The other thing that was very strongly communicated to us, essentially boiled down to this, that God does not like fun. Fun is foolishness. It's folly. That's the word that Bill Gothard used. It's folly. God doesn't like folly. This idea that we're sent is like, this is serious business, you know, in the Christian belief system. Everyone's going to hell unless we save them from hell. It's our job. We're not here on this earth to have fun. Fun is a waste. God doesn't want you to have fun. Remember those preachers that say, God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy because We need to be a light to show everyone else how to live. All these people are sinning and they're going to hell and we have to raise the standard and live the perfect life and then go out and tell everybody how to be awesome like us. And there's no time for fun. It's folly. I mean, of course, we were young people, so they had to give us recreation time, volleyball, basketball, walking around the parking lot. But this place was like a prison, man. I know people that had driven there in their own cars and they weren't even allowed to use their cars. We had very little free time. The other students had very little free time. I told you my situation, I had virtually no free time. Leaving for me, because I was living with a delinquent in the building, I only ever left the building like church on Sunday. I mean, it was it was a crazy experience. And again, here I am a kid sincerely believing this is God's will for my life. This is what it's like to serve God. We're all dressed the same and freedom of speech is discouraged and freedom of thought is discouraged and obey or God's mad at you and don't have fun. Well, then the other thing was one night they gathered all of us guys together in this upper room and basically told us that masturbation is evil and God hates it and it's from the devil and you should feel bad about it. You need to be a good Christian and fight that spirit of lust that comes on you and learn how to control your thoughts because... That's what God wants you to do. So one of the reasons why I decided to do this, it wasn't completely just selfless, 
my parents had put this idea in my mind and my sister's mind to dedicate the first year of our adult life out of high school to God. So didn't really have to ask me twice because, you know, here I am wanting to do desperately whatever it takes to get God's blessing. And here's my parents making the suggestion. I'm like, well, that must be God's will because they're my authorities, right? And plus this experience of working with juvenile delinquents, that's going to look great on my resume as a Christian politician who goes straight to the White House. So my whole idea was I was going to be this perfect person, live these principles. I had I attended the seminar. I truly believed that everything I learned in the seminar was every single thing that I needed to know to be a successful husband, father, provider. I was 19 years old and I literally had my whole life figured out. And I knew that I could do it because I'd proven it to myself. Dedicating your life to God and living this crazy lifestyle where, you know, fun is from the devil, that's not awesome. But if you have this strong sense of delayed gratification like I did and this understanding of, hey, anything worthwhile takes sacrifice, right? I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to bite the bullet. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to be a good kid and God's going to bless me. So as part of my plan, I had applied to an internship at another Christian homeschool organization called the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. And I was lucky to be chosen to be an intern there for six months. It was right after I left Indianapolis. That experience was amazing. It was the opposite of Indianapolis. We had freedom, car, job. Um, I was living with three other interns in our own townhouse. We had so much fun with the other young people that lived in the area. That was an amazing experience. Not only were we working with the attorneys, we were given research assignments and going to law libraries and going to Washington, D.C. and meetings at the White House office and attending a United States Supreme Court hearing. I mean, it was just an amazing opportunity. And for me, as this kid who was convinced that I was going to be this Christian leader to save the world, I mean, this was just more confirmation of that, right? After the internship, I applied to study law. So the Bill Gothard organization, of course, they discouraged people from going to college, but they started a law school, a correspondence law school out of California, because California, if you didn't know this, is the only state in the union, at least at that time, where you are allowed to study law by correspondence. I was born in Southern California, raised in Northern California. I ended up moving a few hours south and took my very first job, my first apartment, living away from my parents, you know, living alone. The roommate that I had also worked with me at this administrative office for this correspondence law school. So this is where I'm getting closer to this traumatic event that really upset my whole perfect plan of being the perfect kid and God is going to bless me. So at this time in my life, I'm studying law. I'm really excited about the things I've done in the last few years. And I was building this picture of myself as this successful Christian leader and really had complete faith that I was doing the right thing and I was adhering to the rules and living by these principles and God was going to bless me. But at this time, I remember sitting at the desk in my bedroom trying to study my law books and I consistently struggled with concentration because my sex drive was screaming at me. But here's the problem. Because I was this Christian kid who grew up in the Christian belief system, and not only that, in this really super legalistic Bill Gothard world, I believed that my sex drive, those urges, was the devil. I believed that this was the spirit of lust, that I was fighting the spirit of lust. In fact, going back in my life, this quote-unquote spirit of lust was really the, the main issue that I ever dealt with. I remember being a really, really young kid, having strong feelings and desires towards women. I mean, I was the kind of kid, I remember vacation Bible schools, kids would be like running around playing and I would prefer to be sitting on the laps of the teenage girls who were teaching us our vacation Bible school. <laughs> I was a little lover boy kid. So I was very aware of my strong appreciation of the female gender very early on in my life. But as I became a good Christian kid, of course, and I wasn't allowed to date, I fought this off. And I fought it in a way like this is the spirit of lust, right? Because here I am trying to focus on my objective, trying to study my law books. And I, I can't stop thinking about beautiful women and breasts and sex. And I just can't. I'm taking cold showers. I'm going running. 
I'm praying, crying out to God, please deliver me from the spirit of lust. I'm trying as hard as I can to focus my attention on my goals and to be this good, perfect person so that I can save the world, so that I can be this perfect Christian kid with these new perfect principle ideas of the real Christianity and march into Washington and save the world, right? God, why wouldn't you want me to do that? Help me. I'm very sincerely asking for your help. Instead, what happened is some people moved into the apartment right above me and they were having sex a lot, really loud. And I was really confused. (laughs) I was so confused. I was like, wait, God, remember? No, I I was asking you to help me to not think about sex. Like I'm, I'm just trying to fight this spirit of lust in me. I know it's bad and it's the devil and... And instead, these people above me were fucking like rabbits and I could hear them. And I was just like, I got to get out of here. You know, I tried studying at other places like coffee shops. Anyway, it was getting harder and harder for me to concentrate on my studies. And it was was out of control. And let me tell you about another dynamic in this very legalistic community. One of the teachings of Bill Gothard, he was very big on convincing everyone that everything that bad that happens in your life, any unwanted circumstance or whatever, is because you sinned. You did something wrong, and now God is punishing you or judging you, or you're reaping what you sow, right? I'm going to go into this whole principle of reaping and sowing later on, because obviously there is some truth to this. Don't worry, I'm going to clear it all up, because Jesus did talk about reaping what you're sowing, right? But the fruit of the way he taught it was just guilt and shame and doubt and fear and worry. And so when you experience something like this, when you're trying so hard to be a good Christian, and you actually are doing all the right things, and and you're struggling with something like I was, you don't reach out to people because if you tell them that you're struggling with something or you're being attacked by the spirit of lust or your car broke down or whatever, they're going to assume, oh, you must have done something wrong. God is punishing you. Like, what's your hidden sin? Like Jonah, he got thrown into the mouth of the whale because he was running away from God. And so you learn to live this kind of life of, it's not even, it's not intentionally deceitful. It's just, I just remember thinking like, hey, I'm trying 100% to be the best person I possibly can. And this is not because I've sinned or something. I'm asking God for help and I can't get it. So there's that whole dynamic of people just not being authentic, not being real, right? Because if you're experiencing things in your life that you don't like, then that means there's something wrong with you and people are going to judge you. And this whole community was so judgmental because of this. So judgmental. I mean, it was just unbelievable. So what happened was one night, my roommate, who I also worked with, was gone. And so I went to the office after hours to use his computer because his computer faced the back wall because I was driving myself crazy and I needed to find some outlet for this sexual energy. I've got to look at some pretty women. I just, I just got to do it. And I, so I have to confess at this point in my life that my struggle early on with, you know, my spirit of lust would manifest itself as a kid looking at bra ads, getting Sears catalogs or whatever, or newspaper inserts and just looking at bra ads and, you know, pleasuring myself. Then, of course, feeling really guilty. And especially after, you know, my experience in Indianapolis, I'm clearly telling us like masturbation is wrong, you know, and here I am thinking like, this is my God-given authority telling me this. They must have had a revelation from God on this. You know, I can't masturbate. I just feel so guilty about it. And I've talked to so many of my friends that also grew up in the Christian church, not even people who grew up in legalistic church, but like it's so damaging, this guilt cycle that us guys have gone through with masturbation. So here I am, I'm at my roommate's computer and I'm looking at, you know, whatever, bra ads and bikini models. It wasn't even nudes. I mean, this was 1997. It took like 30 seconds to load one photo kind of thing. And of course, I felt really guilty about it. It was one of these things, these compulsions. Like, why why am I doing this? Why am I following through with this? It's like you fight it. You have this thought. I want to do this. I want to do this. No, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. Fight it for days and days and days. And finally, I can't fight this anymore. I'm spending all of my energy right now just fighting against this. I'm not getting anything done. I need to just do this, get it over with, so I can get my brain back and get to studying, right? I mean, it just became really pragmatic like that. 
So I knew like virtually nothing about computers. I didn't realize that whatever photos I looked at on the internet are going to be saved in a cache file on the computer. Anyway, it was found out that I had been looking at these things and I got reprimanded. Ironically, I actually had a phone call with Bill Gothard himself. The reason why that's ironic is because I'll just fast forward for those of you who don't know Bill Gothard. About five or six years ago, he was basically kicked out of his own ministry organization that he had for decades because it came out that all the times he was telling us not to have inappropriate relationships with females, well, apparently he was being a hypocrite. So anyway, it's just just so funny to look back at this conversation I had with him and him devising this discipline slash rehabilitation for me in my my sin, right? And of course I was sorry about this. I was so embarrassed. I don't know why I did that. You know, it it really did just boil down to being pragmatic. I don't know if any women can identify with what it's like to be a 20-year-old guy whose sex drive is going crazy and you have no outlet for it and you get this idea stuck in your head. I need to look at beautiful women. I have to express this somehow. And realizing I'm not getting anything done. I'm not getting any of my studying done. This is doesn't make sense. If I, I have to just give into this temptation, get it over with so I can get back to real life. Anyway, so my punishment was from Bill Gothard was that my car was being taken away for, I think it was like a month. Yeah, I think it was a full month. The apartment that we lived in was only, I mean, honestly, it was only like a half a mile from the office. So it was no big deal. Besides my roommate had a car anyway. But the idea was, so I would walk to work and then I was supposed to meditate on these scriptures and that was going to rehabilitate me, you know, because I, I had sinned. I was a sinner. I was a bad person. As you can imagine at this time, I'm just kind of frustrating. It's like, really? I'm a sinner. I'm a bad guy. Is there anyone on this planet that's putting more effort into being a good Christian boy than me? I mean, seriously, there's got to be something wrong with this whole thing. This is ridiculous. I started realizing at the time of my life, it'd be really nice to know how human psychology actually works because you just telling me to do this and do that, you realize it's not that simple, right? You realize there are forces and energies and emotions and things that rise up in me. I don't really have any choice over a lot of the times. At this point, I was really starting to lose faith in my plan of being this perfect kid and marching to Washington as, you know, the perfect godly leader. I'm realizing, you know, the spirit of lust, it's come out now. It's public knowledge. My parents know about it. My employers know about it. And I just started kind of losing hope. But I need to describe a little bit more about who I was at this time. Because not only was I working full time and then studying law in the evenings, I also had developed a relationship with this charismatic evangelist who happened into our office one day to borrow the phone. He looked at me and he said, I think you're going to be the youth leader for my new ministry. And like, to me, it was so, this experience was so in my wheelhouse of what I expected to happen, you know, oh, being a good Christian kid and then opportunities will just come knocking and I'm going to serve God. And this must be God's will because he sent this person to my life and, and I admire what he's doing. And I helped set up this tent revival and stuff. Anyway, like that's literally how I was spending my free time was volunteering with this guy to build his ministry. I mean, my whole life was about Christianity, the Bible, religion, building God's kingdom. Like every ounce of my energy was going into this. I can't remember when, but a few months later, I ended up looking at stuff on the internet again. And at that point, I can't even remember if I tried to hide it or whatever, but I was, I just remember kind of feeling defeated. The other part of the story that I need to tell is that actually, During that time when I was working at this Oak Brook College of Law, this correspondence law school, I had actually started corresponding with a girl that I was interested in marrying. So as you can imagine, this failure of mine in this homeschool kind of community was really embarrassing. And basically me succumbing to the spirit of lust and eventually losing my job caused me to lose out on this relationship with this girl that I thought I wanted to marry. So... When I did lose my job and that that was it, you're fired. I mean, my life was over. My whole plan had come crumbling down because it was all based on this idea of I'm going to be the perfect kid. I'm not going to be one of those politicians that has skeletons in their closet. I'm going to have no skeletons in my closet because I'm never going to do anything wrong. And God's going to bless me, right? It all just came crashing down. There's something horribly wrong here. I did everything right. I gave it 
100% all my effort. I cried out to God to save me from the spirit of lust. I mean, I was so distraught. There's something wrong with me. This was such a public humiliation because as you can imagine, my reputation at my home church as a teenager was pristine. I mean, I was like the perfect kid. And for this to come out, oh, Chris lost his job because he, I mean, I don't think my parents were telling people, but it really felt like my life was over. My whole plan to be this godly Christian leader, study law, it was, it was just, it was gone. And, and having lost out on that relationship with someone that I really admired, it really killed me. It was just so confusing. Like, I don't know why I did that. Why did I, I mean, I have to blame myself for it, right? I did it, but how, why, why can't I overcome this spirit of lust, right? So I ended up going to a counselor who's also affiliated with Bill Gothard. I flew to Sioux City, Iowa to see this counselor who apparently specializes in sexual dysfunction with Christians or whatever. And I was there for a few days and I remember asking him a specific question and his answer was just not satisfactory. This is at the point where I'm just going like, wait a second, you Christian authority people, like you don't know what you're talking about because I did everything right. I did it. I'm convinced. I know sincerity. I know how to repent when I do something wrong. I know how to be cleansed. I know how to ask God, please let me know if there's anything that come between you and I so I can cleanse it. I mean, I was serious. I was fasting, praying as a teenage kid. And I just remember going to this counselor and just being like, this is, this is bullshit. So now you understand partly the catalyst, this thing that happened in my life that caused me to question this whole belief system. But at this time, because I started thinking for myself, and like I said, I started reading the Bible for myself and trying to forget all that I had been taught and just look at Christ's teachings, look at what the Apostle Paul was saying. And I found some things that were really fascinating to me and made me wonder, why is nobody talking about this? One of the things in particular was where the Apostle Paul talks about this concept of eating meat sacrificed to idols. There's a few different passages where he does this, but in one of them, he clearly says in the opening statement of this discussion, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. And he paints this picture of someone who has a lot of faith can eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols, and it's not going to violate their conscience because they know the truth. But he who is weak in faith should abstain from eating this meat because if it violates your conscience, you shouldn't do it. And first of all, I'm looking at this going, wait a second. Um, this passage clearly indicates that the people of weak faith, less faith, are the ones who abstain, the ones who don't do this and don't do that. And I'm looking at my entire childhood, this whole legalistic Christianity. Don't listen to rock and roll. Don't date girls. Don't go to the movies. And I'm realizing like, wait a second, this is completely backwards from what I've been taught. The Apostle Paul is clearly saying that there are degrees of faith and that morality is actually relative. Morality is relative to your faith and to your conscience. It's very clearly teaching that. And it's undeniable when you look at the First, Paul says, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. And I realized, wait a second. Instead of teaching me how to abstain from everything, how about somebody teach me how to have this kind of dynamic faith where I don't worry about eating meat sacrificed to idols or this or that? Because he's clearly indicating if you have a strong faith, then there is no sin. He even goes as far as to say, to the pure, all things are pure. We're going to be going way in depth on this in future episodes, but we're going to realize that the way that we've been taught about sin and righteousness in the Christian church, in the Christian belief system, is not the complete story. What we learn in church is the kindergarten version, is the version of, oh, you guys aren't ready for the meat, so we're just going to feed you milk for the rest of your life. Do this, don't do that. When you're a kid, I get it. This makes sense. You don't have the discernment to understand these nuances of faith and understanding and spirituality. And there's so much going on here. So when you're a kid, yeah, rules are great. Like the Ten Commandments, right? Don't steal, don't lie. That makes sense. But that's only one side of the spectrum, right? The Ten Commandments are like the floor. It's like the foundation. 
If you focus on the Ten Commandments, you're just focusing on the floor. You're completely ignoring the 1,000 floors of this tower above you. Who wants to stay in this place of having a weak conscience and worrying about, oh no, if I eat this meat that's been sacrificed to idols, will I be possessed by a demon? And I looked at my irrational fear that I was sold about my sex drive being the spirit of lust. And I started realizing like, wait a second, let me reason this out. Okay. God gave me my sex drive. God created me as a sexual person. I did not ask for this. This is something that's natural. Apparently, I had enough awareness to realize everyone, every guy that I know experiences this. So it's very natural. This isn't the spirit of lust. This is just my sex drive. And then I started realizing, like, wait a second. If I don't masturbate, then I'm going to have a nocturnal emission or wet dream, right? And typically, when you have a wet dream, there's a kind of sexy component to that dream. I mean, there's stuff that pops into your mind while you're sleeping that would make the pastor blush, right? Bill Gothard would say, that's sinful. You shouldn't be thinking about that. Well, but I didn't ask for it. I didn't put it there. If I don't masturbate, my body's going to masturbate itself, right? Then I started reasoning like, wait a second, this whole idea that the Apostle Paul is talking about is like moral relativism, that your conscience governs you according to your faith. So wait a second, just because I'm feeling guilty about something doesn't mean that I need to feel guilty about it. It just means that I don't have enough faith to cover this, essentially. So what I did, I did an experiment on myself. And I said, you know what? Instead of feeling guilty about masturbating, I'm going to thank God for it. And instead of pushing God out of my sex drive, instead of being ashamed and doing the Adam and Eve thing, and hiding from God while I go to masturbate, I invited God right in with me. And I said, thank you, God. This feels really good. And I can't remember exactly how long, but I'm telling you, within a couple of weeks, all of the guilt and shame that I experienced my entire fucking life disappeared. And that, my friends, is when I realized these Christian authorities that are teaching me all this stuff, specifically this legalistic brand of Christianity, but the Christian belief system in general, all the people that have taught me up until this point don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Because I just discovered something on my own that nobody in the church is talking about. Why are we not talking about these different degrees of faith? Why are we not pursuing the kind of faith where you don't have to worry if you go into somebody's house in a foreign country and they serve you some meat? You don't have to worry about whether it's been sacrificed to idols or whatever. It doesn't matter. The Apostle Paul is clearly saying if you have strong faith, if you have strong conscience, it doesn't matter. Did you know the word conscience actually means with knowledge? It means the more knowledge you have, the more truth that you have, the more free you get. That's why Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Because your conscience grows with your faith. In other words, here's the good news, man. If we saw this world, if we saw this life, if we saw each other, if we, if we saw God, the universe, if we saw everything the way we were meant to, the way Christ did, the Bible calls it the mind of Christ. Some new age people call it Christ consciousness. If we all had Christ consciousness, there would be no sin. That's the whole journey of true spirituality. That's what Christ was actually talking about. When you have the mind of Christ, this is what the Apostle Paul was talking about, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's not just about cleansing the bad thoughts out of your head. It's about learning the truth. The closer you get to the truth, the greater your faith is, the bigger your conscience becomes, and you realize there is nothing that is off limits to me because you graduate from your lower animal nature and start being governed by your heart. And that's where this principle that Christ taught about love governing. Once you start governing yourself by love, then I don't have to be afraid of my sex drive because it's being governed by love. It's subject to love. I am now in control. My sex drive is not in control of me. I am in control of it. But if I'm being taught that my sex drive is the devil and is the spirit of lust, I can never get control of it. 
I was given a wrong belief that was not true, that created bad behavior in me, that created confusion, that created all kinds of guilt and shame and fear and worry and doubt and not love and joy and peace. So if you've been told by the Christian church and the Christian belief system that when you have a sexual urge or thought or your sex drive acts up and you've been taught that that's a spirit of lust, I'm sorry, that's not correct. And once you start just accepting this, you learn how to love yourself through this, you realize it takes on a completely different dynamic. When you take God out of your sex drive, it gets injected with shame and guilt and fear and all the negative stuff. That is why we have issues with sexuality in this world, because we've all been convinced that sexuality is bad. And so we've removed God from it. When I go off to masturbate, I hide from God to do it. And I think it's bad. And because of that, because of that belief, I experience guilt and shame. But once I stopped hiding from God and I just masturbated and thanked him, I stopped feeling guilt and shame. I hope you're beginning to see what true faith and true spirituality is and how this life is supposed to be lived. The more knowledge we have of the truth of who we are, what our power is, who God actually is, what he actually feels towards us, what Christ was actually saying, the closer we get to the truth, you're going to know it because your life will surely show it. Just like the song that we used to sing when we were kids. If you're happy and you know it, then your life will surely show it. That is what is happening to me. And that's why I'm talking on this podcast. That's why I'm saying these words. That's why I want to share these stories because it's really profound. This is earth shattering stuff. This is like, I'm discovering that I was taught things upside down and that I focused all of my energy on trying to control my words and my actions when really it's my thoughts and my beliefs that are the most important thing because thoughts and beliefs produce actions and words. Jesus said the work of God is to believe. If religion has given you a wrong belief about yourself or about God, it's going to manifest in guilt, shame, worry, doubt, and fear. But once you learn the truth and put it into practice, you become set free. Stay tuned next time as I share part two of my deconstruction of faith story. This is Confessions of a Christian Kid with your host, Christopher David Gray. We are cutting through religion to find the true Christ, and we'll be exploring the mystical side of Christianity.